Hello, and welcome to First Baptist Church. Let's pray together. Father, we love you, and you are, you are the reason that we have life. You are the song that we sing. You are the joy that is our strength. And so, Lord, now, through your word, by your spirit, speak to our hearts. Lord, we ask that you would transform us by the renewing of our minds so that when we leave this experience in just a few moments, we leave different, more like Jesus, so that the world might see Christ in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I have to tell you, I am excited to get to preach today. When I don't get to preach, it's like I'm not doing what I was built for. So today we have eight points. Settle in. I'm kidding. Sometimes it helps that we're on a broadcast and we have 58 minutes and 56 seconds to do this. So we do have eight points today, but we're going to go through them quickly. And honestly, we're going back to the fundamentals. For the last several weeks, we've been asking the question, what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? And today we're going to now pivot and ask the question, what does Jesus want me to do? Now, the truth is that Jesus has expectations of us. That's the theme of the message. Jesus has expectations of me. And today we're going to go back to the fundamentals, the basics. You've all heard the stories, Coach Vince Lombardi holding up the football and looking at all these gentlemen who are paid good money to play a game and starting the season by saying what? Gentlemen, this is a football or you know the story of John Wooden, Coach John Wooden, who started every basketball season in the same way. All these great recruits from all over the nation, and what was the first thing he would teach them to do? How to put on their socks and their shoes so that they wouldn't get blisters running up and down the court, and they could then excel. You know, great coaches teach us the fundamentals. And the greatest of coaches ingrain those fundamentals in every player so that every player has the ability to become everything God made that player to be. Well, Jesus does the same with us. He gives us the fundamentals of the faith that has been once for all delivered to the saints, and he says, this is what it means to live out your faith. I have to tell you, the faith of Jesus Christ is not a theory. It doesn't stop there. Our faith in Jesus Christ is not just a theology. It doesn't stop there. No, it is, it is the foundation of our lives upon which we build, by which we live, the reason that we sing and the reason that we live. So I want to invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 37 through 47. And if you're in the room and the Red Pew Bible in front of you, this is page 910. Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 47, page 910, with the theme, Jesus has expectations of me. Now let me set the context. Jesus has already died on the cross. He's risen from the grave. He walked the earth for 40 days, and now he has ascended unto heaven. His disciples are gathered in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. They're scared to death about what's going to come next, but they've been told that they would be clothed with power from on high, and it happened. How many of you are glad to know that Jesus keeps his promises? He said, stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high, and he sent the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and and God empowered these disciples who were formerly scared to stand up and to proclaim boldly in every language the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Peter, you remember Peter. 
Peter was the one who told Jesus there in the upper room, I will not let anything happen to you. If everybody scatters, I won't leave. In fact, I'll die before they get to you. Well, those were big words, weren't they? Turns out, though, they were a little bit harder to live. And what happened when the heat was on? Well, Peter did swing his sword and missed. He cut off Malchus's ear, and nobody aims for an ear. So he missed. But then what happened? Jesus is captured, taken in, tried, and a slave girl asks Peter out there beside a charcoal fire, aren't you one of his disciples? That northern Galilean accent is betraying you. I believe you were with him. And what did Peter do? Three times. The third time, calling down curses upon himself, he said, I do not know the man. This Peter, who presumed himself to be so strong, turned out to be so weak. Aren't you glad? Because sometimes I presume myself to be very strong and turn out pretty weak. Well, this same Peter, Peter, who turned out pretty weak, now filled with the Holy Spirit, is empowered to proclaim the gospel, and he stands up among the very people who condemned Jesus to death, and he proclaims the gospel that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who has come from heaven to earth, who lived a life without sin, and then who died on the cross in our place to pay the price for our sin. But God didn't leave him there. The third day he arose from the grave, he lives, he reigns, he is ascended into heaven, he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and his arms are open to receive anyone who will come to him in repentance and faith. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Peter stood up and boldly proclaimed this message to the very people who had condemned Jesus. And now in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 37, we're going to see their response to this bold message of the gospel. Luke, the physician, writes as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit, telling us this. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. As we look back at the advent of the church, the birth of the church, we see the fundamentals of the faith. And I want to give you these eight points. The first is this. Jesus wants me to repent and believe the gospel. Jesus wants me to repent and believe the gospel. This was Jesus' call as his ministry began. Mark chapter 1, 
Verse 15, Jesus said, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. What does it mean to repent? It means that I turn away from my life of sin. Literally, the word means that my mind is changed. In the Greek, it's metanoeo, change of the mind. My mind is changed to agree with God that what he calls sin is really sin. And what he calls sin in my life is really sin. Where does he call it sin? Right here in his word. So my mind is changed to, to agree with his word that the sin in me truly is sinful, but I don't stop there. Now I turn away from it, and I believe the gospel. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God who lived a life without sin, who died on the cross for me, who rose from the grave so that I might have eternal life. And I receive him as my personal Lord and Savior. Now, this is very important. This is the beginning point. You have to cross the line of faith. In our region, there's a danger, and the danger is this. You can hang around believers, and you can hang around the church, and you can miss the gospel. But it'd be kind of like, oh, I don't know, on a Sunday afternoon, going to all sorts of open houses. There are going to be open houses. Realtors are setting them up right now going to all sorts of open houses but never making a purchase. You still don't have somewhere to keep you safe when the floods come and the rains come. And the... Or it's like going to all the car lots that are starting to get a few more cars back on them now. Going to all the car lots and looking around and talking with the salespersons and learning about all the cars but never making a purchase, you're still on your feet. Or being friends with insurance agents. We have a lot of people who are very familiar with insurance in this room. And you can have a lot of friends who are insurance agents, but never make the purchase. And if you never purchase the policy when calamity strikes, your friends can't help you. See, that's the thing. You can hang around the church and still go to hell. You have to cross the line of faith. And beginning with Jesus, crossing the line of faith means I, I believe the gospel. And I turn away from my sin and receive Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. Maybe that's your first step. Maybe that's the step to which God is calling you right now. Let me give you permission. Ignore the preacher and start praying, Lord, I'm a sinner, but I believe, Jesus, you're the Savior. I turn away from my life of sin and give my life to you. I trust you and I will follow you. Come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. If you do that, you will cross the line of faith, and you will begin with Jesus, but recognize that that's just the beginning. It's kind of like commencement. We're getting ready to have a bunch of graduations. May the 15th, we'll have graduation Sunday right here at First Baptist Church, and we'll celebrate those who are graduating from high school. But have you ever thought of the fact that commencement is called commencement? Do you know what that means? Not the end. It's the beginning. We commence from our education into our life. Well, Jesus calls us to commence our journey of faith by repenting and believing in him. That's point number one. But then notice what happened in verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Point number two, Jesus wants me to be baptized. Jesus wants me to be baptized. Notice that these were individuals who believed the message. They gave their lives to Jesus, and the first step of obedience in following Jesus was to be baptized. 
This was a decision that they made themselves. Nobody made it for them. I promise you that although there were 3,000 who were baptized that day, that there were many who walked away choosing not to, choosing not to believe, choosing not to receive. Baptism is the first step of obedience in following Jesus. That water doesn't wash away your sin. Jesus does. But for those whose sin has been washed away by Jesus because they have repented and believed, the first step of obedience is doing what Jesus said to do, stepping into the waters of baptism. And I know, listen, I had a, I had a personal battle with baptism. Because my parents loved me in the church tradition where we grew up, they made the decision that I would have water sprinkled on my head, and that was a beautiful decision. That was a wonderful decision. They made that decision because they loved me and because they wanted me to grow up to embrace the faith as my own and to live out the faith in my own life. And, well, guess what? That happened. But, you know, when I stand before God in judgment, my mother's not going to come up and say, Lord, he's a good boy. You should let him in. Dads would say, well, you're on your own, son. But moms would say, he's a good boy. Right? That's not how it works. You stand before God with your faith. Not your parents' faith, not your grandparents' faith, not the preacher in the family's faith. No, you stand before God with your faith and your baptism. This was the conviction with which God convicted me. My baptism needed to be my baptism based on my decision to trust and follow Jesus. And what was I doing? I was honoring what my parents wanted for me so many years before then. But you know, Jesus wants us to be baptized. That's what happened there in the beginning. Well, then they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to several things. Verse 42, the first thing, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Point number three, Jesus wants me to study his word. Jesus wants me to study his word. You have, many of you have an iPhone, and when you download an app, what do you have to do before you can use the app? You have to accept the terms, don't you? You have to hit that button that says, I accept. And I know you are so careful in reading those terms that you fully accept, just like me, right? No. Even the ones that make you scroll to the bottom, you just do this as fast as you can. And uh, Mr. Attorney, I'm sure this is great. Hit, I accept, and then roll on. Well, how many of us are doing the same thing with the Bible? We're accepting terms we don't even know are there. And then we get mad when somebody points out God's terms. Well, I didn't know that was there. That can't be true for today. No, it's still true for today. Just because you didn't read the terms doesn't mean they don't apply. God expects us to study his word, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We have the apostles' teaching recorded here in the Word of God. We want to encourage you to read the Word. Steve Ayers, my mentor, used to say, coming to church on Sunday is like watching the previews for the movies. You remember when we used to have these things called movie theaters, and if you got there early enough, you would sit down with your popcorn and your big gulp, and, and they would show you the previews of the coming attractions? You got a two-minute and 30-second preview of a two-and-a-half-hour movie? Well, the best we can do here is a preview of the whole thing. That's why we study God's Word every day, because as we do, we meet the author. They devoted themselves to apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and the breaking of bread. The third point, or I'm sorry, number four, Jesus wants me to build healthy, Christ-centered 
relationships. Jesus wants me to build healthy, Christ-centered relationships. You know, in the Baptist church, we call each other brother and sister, don't we? That's something we do. Brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so. We don't always do that, but sometimes we do. But I'll tell you, that never meant as much to me as when I was on the other side of the world in a place where I wasn't supposed to be a representative of Jesus, talking to a man who spoke Persian, spoke a vastly different language. We couldn't talk to each other. But thankfully, he had one word, one word of English that told me all was well. He looked at me and he said, brother. It's a little different. It's a little different when you have a lot of things that ought to divide you, but you're united in Jesus Christ. Brother. I think about my brother, Awesome. He's from Pakistan. You remember Awesome. He's pretty awesome. That's not how you spell it. He's literally been beaten for sharing his faith where he is. He's my brother. He's taken me out with him to share the faith. He's my brother. And in Jesus Christ, we are brothers and sisters, and so we seek to cultivate healthy, Christ-centered relationships with our faith family. On the flock note, every week I write, Dear First Family. And that could be trite, but I mean it. Because when you go through hard times, it's nice to have your family with you. Amen. And we get to be brothers and sisters in Jesus, but not just us. All of us Christians around the world, we're united as the family of faith in Jesus Christ. What else did they devote themselves to? To prayer. So fifth point is Jesus wants me to pray. Jesus wants me to pray. Not only will God allow you to pray, he wants you to pray. Isn't that amazing? The God of the universe who holds the worlds in his hands wants you to cast your anxieties on him. Do you have any anxieties? Well, I do. And God wants you and me to bring those things first to him. Not try to figure it out on our own. God's not up there saying, well, let's see how good they do today. No, no. He says, come to me. Come to me first. Come to me now. You're weary. You're heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, Mrs. McCubbin, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. They devoted themselves to prayer. Verse 43, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Number six, Jesus wants me to worship him, to worship him in spirit and in truth. He wants me to dedicate my life to him and offer my life to him in worship, for he has given his all, and he calls us to give back all of which he's given us ourselves. Verses 44 through 46 say this, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Point number seven, 
Jesus wants me to live generously. Jesus wants me to live generously. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul says this for the rich people. And if you own a car, that puts you in the top 10% wealthiest people in the world. As for the rich in this present age, charge him not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They're to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. We serve a generous God. How dare we be stingy? We serve a God who has given us all things. He calls us to give back to him a portion of that which he's given to us. He calls us to tithe to our local church, not to tip him, to tithe 10% to our local church, but then to go beyond that. Many of you have just filed your taxes or are in the process of doing so. How was your charitable giving this year? That's just a great way to examine it. I'll never know. You'll never know mine. God knows all of ours. How are we living generously as people who serve a generous God? And then listen to this last verse, verse 47. They were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Eighth and final point, Jesus wants me to welcome others to him. Jesus wants me to welcome others to him. So let me ask you a question. What is your next step? Because you have one. What step does Jesus expect you to take? Because he does. Is it to repent and believe, receiving Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Is it to step into the waters of baptism, to take the first step of obedience in following Jesus? Is it to get in God's Word? Is it to to fellowship with other believers and build healthy relationships? Is it to pray? Is it to live generously, worshiping God and then allowing your worship of God to overflow and bless others around you? Is it to finally welcome others to the hope that you have within you through Jesus Christ your Lord? God's calling all of us to take a next step, and that is the foundation of the faith. Wherever you lead, I'll go. Whatever you want, I'll do. I pray we would be the kind of people who would say, Lord, I'll trust you enough to follow you and to help others do the same this week.